<clears throat> well, we're going through uh, the book of James, and so if you if you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, turn to James. We uh, we started it last week. Uh, if you were not here last week, uh, we do record our sermons and put them online, and so I uh, would definitely encourage you to to jump online and uh, give a listen. Uh, Pastor David did a great job uh, introducing us to the book of James. Uh, today we're going to be uh, in verses uh, chapter one, verses five to eight uh, of James. Um, <clears throat> but before we get into those verses, I want to just set the table uh, with just a little bit uh, of um, kind of where we left off last week. Um, and so James starts off in verse two by saying, "Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness." Have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so last week we we talked about just this idea that uh, that just because we're followers of Christ doesn't mean that we escape trials and tribulations. Uh, there's no easy button for the Christian, right? Um, some sometimes there there are messages out there that, that say you know come come to Christ and they'll make all your wildest dreams come true and that life will be grand, um, but all we have to do is ask the Apostle Paul, how did that work out for him? Or ask Jesus, how did that work out for him? Right? There's no easy button in the Christian life. We uh, are subject to the same kind of difficulties uh, oftentimes that the rest of the world uh, is subject to. The difference for the Christian is that, that we're promised by God that, that he's going to be with us in our trials and in our difficulties. And so that's why James can make this audacious statement to say, count it joy brothers or brothers and sisters when you face trials, right? We don't often associate joy and trials, uh, like those things don't typically live in the same world, but, but for the Christian, they can live in the same world because of who Christ is and because of what he's done for us. Uh, and, and what we see in this passage is that trials, difficulties, hard things, they actually produce in us, in the Christian, a steadfastness or a faithfulness to God. Because when, when we walk through hard things, and we know that God is with us, and then, then the next hard thing that we walk through, it's, it's maybe just a little bit less hard because God was faithful to us before. And, and, and the more and more that, that we experience difficulties walking with Christ, the, the more we remember and realize that he's with us and that he loves us and that he's actually working in us for our good. Romans 8.28 tells us that, that if two things are true of you, if you're called according to God's purpose and if you love God, then everything is for your good. That's not to say that everything is good, but everything works for your good in God's economy. And so that's why we can look at our difficulties and that we can have some semblance of joy in our difficulties because we know that in the end, even though it may not be a good thing, that God is working a bad thing for good in us, right? And so what a, what a great encouragement uh, to the Christian. And so in these next few sections of James, after he tells us to count it joy, as we walk through trials. And then he goes in to talk about some different kinds of trials that, that we walk through. And so in verses 5 through 8, our passage today, he's going to talk to us about wisdom. Um, next week, our passage 9 through 11, he's going to talk about pride. Uh, in verses 12 to 14, he's going to talk about temptation and so on and, and so on. Um, and then in verse 16 um, of this section, James tells us that these things are good gifts from God. He tells us that our trials are good and perfect gifts from God, right? And again, it seems like a crazy statement because 
we don't typically look at our difficulties as good things. Uh, at least I don't. Maybe you're a better person than I am, but I don't typically look at my hard things as good things always. Um, but we'll get to that more uh, in a few weeks. The point for now is that for the Christian, there's nothing that happens in your life or my life that's outside of the purview of God. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says that if there were any other circumstance better for you than the one that you're currently in, divine love would have you there. That's true for the Christian. That's not true for the, for the non-believer, but this is true for the follower of Christ, that, that if there were any better circumstance than the one that you're currently walking through right now, whatever that is, if you're a follower of Christ, there, there's no better place for you to be than exactly where you are. And we can lay our head on the pillow at night believing that that's true, and we can sleep at night having some comfort that even though maybe this thing stinks, whatever it is that I'm walking through, that God is in it with me, and maybe it's even prescribed by God so that he can work good in me and for me, right? Well, what an incredible comfort that is. And so keep that in your mind as we make our way through our passage today. As we get into uh, chapter 1, verse 5, James writes that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So my analytical brain, I read something like this, and the first question that, that I would ask uh, is, well, what, what is this wisdom? If, if we can ask for it, if there's a lack that I, if I lack wisdom, if I can ask for it, if God will give it to me, and he'll give it to me freely, what is it? What, what is this wisdom? And, and kind of at first read, you might, what do you think of when you think about wisdom? You might think about making a difficult decision and being able to know right from wrong. You might think about being in a, in a difficult circumstance and being able to kind of think your way out of it because you're able to, to make your brain function the way that God intended it to function. I don't think that's what James has in mind here. That, that might be part of what he has in mind, but I don't think that's fully what he has in mind. First of all, um, we need to understand that James is being kind in how he is wording this sentence. When he says that if any of you lacks wisdom, what he's really saying is that you lack wisdom, right? He, he's being, um, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> diplomatic, that's the word I'm looking for. He's being diplomatic in here. He's being kind. He, he's telling you and me that, that you lack wisdom. There's no question about it that you lack wisdom. And there's only one place that it can be found. Where is it that we find this wisdom? Um, Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so if we just let the Bible interpret the Bible, uh, we're told that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you haven't even scratched the surface of wisdom without the fear of the Lord. right? Maybe, maybe you know somebody in your life who you consider to be uh, a wise person. Maybe it's your dad, right? Maybe a grandpa, um, another family member. Maybe it's a friend who uh, maybe they just ha have a pattern of life of making wise decisions and maybe they've done well for themselves because they've been able to make wise and smart moves throughout their life. The Bible tells us here that, that we haven't, again, scratched the surface of wisdom without the fear of the Lord. The wisdom that James is talking about here is not, not a sage-like wisdom necessarily. Like maybe you think of somebody like Yoda. I'm a bit of a Star Wars nerd, so, so, so I think of Yoda. Uh, or Mr. Miyagi. 
I've been binging the Cobra Kai series lately. It's awesome, by the way, if you're looking for a new show to watch. But maybe you think of like somebody like Mr. Miyagi, who's just a sage-like person who, when you have a problem, you can go to them and they're going to solve your problems. You might think of someone who's experienced and knows the ways of the world. But again, this isn't fully the type of wisdom I don't think that James uh, is talking about here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 to 31 says that God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, so again, if we just let the Bible do the work of interpreting for us the Bible, wisdom, before it has anything to do with being smart, before it has anything to do with knowledge, before it has anything to do with all of your brain cylinders firing the way that they need to fire, before it has to do with any of those things, wisdom, according to what we just read, is a person. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom is Jesus Christ. James is talking about here more than just needing help and making decisions. Before we even get to what it looks like to make wise decisions on a practical level, we have to consider that James is talking about wisdom in a far greater sense than probably what you and I think in this passage on, on a first glance. In the Old Testament, there's wisdom literature, right? And in the wisdom literature, the idea of wisdom was more about living life with a reliance upon God. You read through the Proverbs, for example. It was about living a life with reliance upon God far more than it was about making the best choice, although that certainly is part of living life with God, is being able to make wise decisions when those times come. But James, I think, is, is thinking more broadly uh, when he's talking about wisdom. In the Old Testament, wisdom was really about living life in God's world according to God's rules. We, we live today in God's world, but we don't always live by God's rules, do we? I don't always live by God's rules, and, and I, I'd like to think I know God's rules pretty well, and I don't always live by God's rules. There, there are times, maybe more often than I even care to admit, where, where I think I know better, where my way seems like a better way. But the Old Testament is peppered with this idea of wisdom being that we live in God's world according to God's rules. And so, so you and I fail at that miserably day after day after, even moment by moment, we fail at it miserably. I'm talking about this today, and there's a, there's a high probability that I'm going to fail at it this afternoon. <laughs> there's only one person that's ever been able to live in God's world perfectly according to God's rules perfectly, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the complete fulfillment of this idea of living in God's world by God's rules. He's the one and only person ever to do it perfectly. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus also was the fulfillment of our righteousness, the fulfillment of our sanctification, the fulfillment of our redemption. These are all things that the Bible tells us that, that we are incapable of providing for ourselves and that we need somebody else to do for us what we could and would never do for ourselves. 
So this is where we begin to scratch the surface of the good news of the gospel. As Pastor David talked about last week, James is, is filled with just practical advice uh, for how we ought to live, right? It's, it's filled with here, here's how to live by God's rules in God's world, but we can't forget the foundation of the gospel that this is all rooted in. Because the last thing that, that we want to do, we would actually do you a great disservice if we stood up here week after week after week after week and gave you messages that just told you to try harder to be better. Because at the end of the day, you can't try hard enough to be good enough. The Bible tells us that from beginning to end, that we can't try hard enough to be good enough. There was only one person that was good enough. And the Bible calls us to a trust in Jesus Christ as the one who was good enough on our behalf. And so, so we, we don't want to spend our time in James just kind of pounding you over the head with the message of try harder to be better. We don't want you to walk away from here with your head hanging low, thinking I can never live that way. I can never do that. That's not what the book of James is about. And so we have to continually go back to how all of these things are rooted in the truth of the gospel. And so as James is calling us to wisdom here, we need to understand, again, wisdom first and foremost is, is a person before it's a character trait that you possess. Wisdom is a, is a person who lived perfectly in God's world according to God's rules and did what you and I could never do. Wisdom is a person that took the punishment for where you and I have fallen short of that and have has imputed to us his perfectness, his righteousness. Wisdom is a person. So with that in mind, what, what is it that James is trying to tell us here? Well, I think first and foremost, he's trying to tell us that, that without Jesus, we have no hope of attaining wisdom at all. We, we can't scratch the surface of it. But all we have to do is come to the Father and ask. If any of us lacks wisdom, in other words, you lack wisdom, I lack wisdom, James is saying. All we have to do is come to the Father and we have to ask. When we come to the Father and we ask, he gives generously and he gives without reproach. In other words, he gives freely. And we can have every expectation that when we come to God and ask for wisdom, that he's going to give us wisdom. Now, there's, there's a couple caveats to this that I want to unpack here for us. So, so the first caveat is that we, we have to ask. The second caveat is, is that we have to ask. In verse 6, we ask in faith. Right? And so, again, keep in your mind that, that James is not necessarily talking about coming to God when life gets difficult and saying, God help, although we, we certainly can do that, but that's not, I don't think that's what James has in view here. When we come to God and we ask, it, it means that we're acknowledging our lack. Right? When, when, you, when you go to anybody and you ask for advice, you, you go to them because you're acknowledging that you don't have it figured out. That you have some kind of a lack that you need somebody to help make up, right? That, that's why we go. Although... If you're like me, when you do ask for advice, you just keep asking until somebody tells you what you want to hear, right? We, we do that. We do that. I'm, I'm going to come to you and ask you, hey, what do you, what do you think about this? And if you don't tell me what I want to hear, I'm, I'm probably going to go to somebody else. Well, hey, what do, you, what do you think about this? And I'm going to keep doing this until somebody says, here's the thing. It's like, okay, that, that's what I was thinking, right? And, and basically just kind of confirming what, what I thought to be true uh, to begin with. That's typically what we do. But when we come to God and ask for wisdom, it's an admission that, that we don't have it figured out. 
we come to God and ask, it's, it's an ask that, that is open to whatever it is that he would say to us, even if it doesn't meet what we want it to meet, even if it doesn't meet our own criteria. Author Tim Keller talks about that, that if your God never offends you, that maybe the God that you worship really is an idealized version of you. Like if we truly come to God and we come to the Bible seeking him and seeking what he would say to us, it's going to rub up against us somewhere along the way, maybe a lot. And if that never happens, if, if the Bible never rubs up against us, then, then maybe maybe we're not looking to, to God for who he truly is. And so we ask, we ask him out of desperation. We ask him admitting that we completely lack apart from him any sense of wisdom in the truest sense of what wisdom is. And the other caveat is that we ask in faith. And asking in faith means that, that we must believe. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That, that makes sense, right? Why would we pray to a God that we don't believe in? At least to some extent. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So what does that mean? What, what, what does that mean? Is faith, does that, does that mean that, that I can ask God for anything and just if, if I hope enough that I'm going to get the thing that I ask for? I don't think so. I've asked for a lot of things in my life that haven't come through. And I've hoped for a lot of things like pretty hard that haven't come through. Does that mean that God has let me down? No, not at all. What, what, what is the hope of the Christian? But what is your hope? If we were to poll the room and I was just going around and say, what, what is it that you hope for? How, how would you answer that question? And, and you might answer that question in a different way under different circumstances or on different days. One day, the hope might be that, uh, that, that the job promotion comes through, right? Not a bad thing to hope for. Maybe another day, the hope would be that you can build up the retirement account to a certain amount where you don't have to worry about it. Not, not a bad thing to hope for at all. Maybe, maybe your hope in a given moment might be that you could have a relationship with your kids or that, that your kids would follow Christ. Definitely not a bad thing to hope for at all. But, but the hope of the Christian is, is far greater even than these things that, that are maybe even noble things to hope for. At the end of the day, the hope of the Christian is that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's done what he said that he's done. Because if Jesus isn't who he says that he is, and if he hasn't done what he said that he's done, what, what hope do we really have? What, what hope do we, do we really have in this life if Jesus isn't who he says that he is? And so really the hope of the Christian is that the gospel is true. That the good news of the gospel is true. Because if the gospel isn't true, I don't have anything except what I have in this life, which isn't all that much. And more than that, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that it's Jesus who is the author and who is the perfecter of our faith. In other words, do you know that your faith doesn't originate with you? My faith doesn't originate with me. Jesus is the author of our faith. Faith is a gift from God to those who believe. I can't dig down deep enough inside of me to find 
belief because it doesn't exist inside of me apart from it being gifted to me by God himself. So our faith originates with Jesus as the author of it, as the perfecter of it. It's Jesus who maintains our faith even. I don't even have to maintain my own faith. I don't have to try harder to be better. That's good news. Faith is a gift that's given to us, not something that we created. And so so when we think about asking in faith, we're, we're thinking about admitting where I fall short. I like to think that I'm a pretty smart fella. Sometimes too smart for my own good, I tend to think, right? I keep it under wraps a little bit, but like my wife my wife can tell you, like I tend to think pretty highly of myself at times. But part of, part of coming to God and what James is talking about is, is admitting like I'm not all that smart. I don't have all the things figured out that I'd like to think that I have figured out. At the end of the day, I might be able to make some decisions that show a little bit of worldly wisdom. But I haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what wisdom is or who wisdom is apart from the fear of the Lord. Apart from coming to God admitting that I don't have it all figured out like I would hope to. Believing that he's going to meet me in that that he's going to grant me faith. He's going to gift me faith so that I can ask of him, trusting that he's going to meet me in it. But then James in verse six goes on to kind of add this other caveat. So to ask, to ask in faith, but with no doubting, he says, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So here again, I, I just ask in my analytical mind, what does James mean when he's talking about doubt? Have you ever prayed to God for anything and you, you just weren't sure if it was going to happen? All the time. All the time. And, and it's not so much, I don't think that, that we doubt that God can do things. Right? If, if we believe in God, like if he's sovereign, if he's the creator of all things, we, we believe that he can do anything. But I don't always believe he's going to do the thing that I'm asking him for. And it's not that he can't. I just don't know. So what's James talking about when he's talking? Is he saying that that's, that that's bad? That, that if we doubt that way, whether God will come through for us or not? I was thinking about this week, and I think I think about this actually kind of a lot, but especially this week, um, just about how do you pray to a sovereign God? How do you pray to a God that's in control of everything? What, what, what do you ask? What do you ask for? And I think for me, I don't know, maybe you're better than me, but I think for me a lot of times, like I'm coming to God with my list. God, here, here's, all the, here's all the things that, that you need to fix. Here's all the things that you need to change. God, here, here's all the things that you can do better. Right? I, I come to God oftentimes with, here, here's my grand ideas of how you can run the universe in a better way. My, my prayers are that, probably more than they should be. I'm guessing that might be true for you too. But when James is talking about the doubter being like 
a wave of the sea that is that is driven and tossed by the wind. Like sometimes it gets frustrating when we pray for things and they just don't seem to happen, right? We get frustrated. Maybe we lose a little bit of heart sometimes. And I think we all know this, but but it's important to understand like God is not our genie in a bottle. God, God is not here to, to grant our every request and our every wish. And if it's true that, that I lack wisdom, if it's true that you lack wisdom, wouldn't it stand a reason that it's also true that, that when we pray out of our lack of wisdom, that maybe we don't know what to really pray. Maybe we don't know what to ask for. Even though it sounds good to us in those moments, God knows more than we do, and he sees more than we do, and he is everywhere, and we're not. But James tells us to, to pray without doubting. The idea here about doubting is not necessarily about being unsure. The idea that James is getting at when he's talking about doubting is more about um, being divided in your allegiance. In one moment, maybe we're oriented towards God, and in another moment, maybe we're oriented towards something or someone else. In other words, what James is talking about is a wavering commitment. It goes back to this idea of living in God's world according to God's rules. But when we live in God's world according to our rules, and then we pray accordingly, this is what, this is what James is talking about. We selectively choose. There's a song that embodies this idea, I think, pretty well. Anybody know the song, Jesus Take the Wheel? Put Carrie Underwood on the map. This idea that when things are going my way, it's all good, but, but the moment a crisis happens, oh God, help! Jesus, take the wheel. This is what James is talking about in terms of doubting, like having selected, selective allegiance, being having a divided allegiance and coming to God only in crisis. Or only when we think that we need him the most, but when we don't think that we need him, that, that our allegiance isn't there. That person, James says, should not really expect anything from God if you have a divided allegiance. As a matter of fact, what that person should expect is a life of instability. And maybe some of us can relate. That, that doesn't mean that, that simply because we're Christians that, that life is going to be perfectly stable. Not James isn't saying that at all. But what he's saying is for the person with divided allegiance that's only coming to God in moments of crisis or when it suits them, don't, don't expect God to meet you necessarily in those moments. Right? So, so we lack wisdom. We're told to ask, and we're told to ask with faith that, that God gifts us, that God grants us. And we're told not to have a divided allegiance, not to have an allegiance to God in one moment and something or someone else in another moment. So what does that all mean for us? Okay, so, so we've unpacked all of this to this point. What, what does this mean? What do we do with this? Wisdom is a person. Faith is a gift. Doubt keeps us from God. And for the one who is self-oriented as a pattern of life, trials will crush you. And maybe you know this. Maybe, maybe that's not news to anybody. Trials will, will crush you when you're self-oriented. But for the one whose life is oriented towards Christ, it's a different story. 
A few weeks ago, <clears throat> Jordan preached from 1 Peter chapter 1, and, and I want to read this passage that, that he brought to us because it's fitting for today. It says this, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As we consider the various trials that we walk through in life, and there, there are degrees of trials, like maybe some trials aren't that bad. Maybe some trials are very difficult and, and very hard. But once again, for the Christian, whatever those trials are, if you love God and if you're called according to his purpose, he's working them for your good. That, that's an incredible truth. There's hardly a day that goes by that that, that that doesn't ring in my mind in some way at some point throughout the day. It's an absolute incredible truth. And because of that truth, we, we can face our difficulties with, with some joy, knowing that God who loves me more than anybody who loves me is not only with me, maybe even has ordained this trial for me to walk through. And that if I lack at any point walking through trials or otherwise, at any point if I have any lack of wisdom, all I have to do is ask, and God will meet me in that. He'll meet you in that. If we ask in faith, realizing that wisdom is first and foremost a person before it's a function of the brain. That's why Peter can write what he wrote, that according to God's great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Our hope isn't some, something that's just far off in the future. It's not pie in the sky. Our hope isn't only that, that one day all the wrong things are going to be made right. That is part of our hope. But, but we have a hope right now that God is for us and that he cares for us and that he loves us. And because Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, everything he says and does matters. If Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, what he said and did might not matter all that much. He might have just been a, a really great guy, maybe a bit eccentric, but a great guy. But because he raised from the dead, because the resurrection is true, then who Jesus is matters more than anything. And because that's true, Peter reminds us that we have an inheritance coming to us that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven waiting for us. And between now and then, we're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that will be ultimately realized in the last time. And so Peter tells us that in this, like rejoice in that. Whatever life throws at you, rejoice in that. 
because that's true. Even though you're grieved by various trials and even though your faith is going to get tested, rejoice in the fact that God is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he's done. And that he's called us to live in his world according to his rules. And if we lack at any point, all we have to come, all we have to do is come to him, admitting our lack, asking in faith, God help. God help. So if I could leave you with any encouragement today, anything to walk away from here with, again, is not, not, not try harder to be better. Like don't walk out the door and think you've got to try harder to be smarter. That, that's, not, that's not the message today. The, the message today is that, that God has done for you in Christ what you could and would never do for yourself. Rest in that and, and come to God in faith, believing that's true. And it's promised us that God will meet us in that. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful for today. We're thankful that you love us and thankful that you care for us. We're thankful that the difficulties that, that we can walk through in life, um, that you're not absent from them. You don't turn a blind eye to them. They, they don't go on behind your back. Uh, that, that you're fully aware of everything that happens in our lives. And not only are you fully aware, but you care about the things that happen in our lives, good, bad, or otherwise. And so it would be my prayer for us today that we would be able to um, trust in you, not only in the difficult times of life, but when things are going our way, that we would be able to trust in you as well. That we would be able to, day by day, even moment by moment, realize our lack, uh, our lack of wisdom, our lack of understanding, our lack of even having a life that's fully oriented towards you, and that you would help us in that lack as we come to you in faith. You would help us to be people whose lives more and more as time goes on would be oriented uh, more towards you and farther away from self. But help us where we need help, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.